0: Let's go ahead and um, turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. And we'll be actually finishing up the chapter today. And we're looking at verses 11 through 14. Let's read, it says, And that... Knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in a day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can dig into your word, Lord. I do pray that as we we look in here, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, understanding, that you would convict us if, if we need convicted, Lord, and comfort us where we need comforted. And I pray that you would Give me the words to speak, yet make me invisible in this, Lord. We want to see you high and lifted up. We want to, we want to worship you this morning through your, the preaching of your word, and the hearing of your word. We just thank you for this time in the name of Christ, Amen. Um, by way of review, um, obviously we're in chapter 13, and Paul's kind of dealt with the fact that we should um, submit and obey the government. He tells us to love one another, um, which would include the government, to love them too. Um, so, and he taught us, you know, obviously, he teaches us through that that we, we should be paying taxes. Uh, so that that shouldn't be a fight. But And he taught us that loving one another was actually fulfilling the law. I don't know if you remember, I said, you know, When you come to the New Covenant, you see there's over a thousand commands. But they can all be summed up in two, in love God and love your neighbor. Um, If you're loving God, you'll be worshiping God, you'll have him first, he'll be first in your life, you'll be laying down your life for him. If you're loving your neighbor, you won't be stealing from them, you won't be killing them, you won't be um, coveting what they had, you won't be lying to them. And it says, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that's what he ends with right before this section that we're in here today. So my three points here today we'll be looking at is knowing the time, casting off darkness, and putting on light. So the first point here is uh, knowing the time. Paul is following what he just said. Love is fulfilling of the law with this. So let us not separate this text from the context. Right? That's, That's part of the if there ever could be a problem with verse-by-verse verse exposition, it could be this, that you could take one verse out and pull it out of its context without and totally forget about what you were looking at before and forget about what's coming forward and just preach on that one verse, which we ought never to do that. But you can have that same problem when you're preaching topical preaching too. They take four or five verses and they just preach on this and it contradicts all kinds of other verses. We don't ever want to do that. So let, let us not separate the text from the context. He previously commanded us to love one another and to owe no man anything because love works no ill towards his neighbor. And now he's going to actually exhort us even further. But before that ex- exhortation that he gives us, he does the same thing that he does in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Y'all have heard me quote it probably every single week since we made it to Romans chapter 12. He bases his exhortation in doctrine remember Romans chapter 12 verse 1 he says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you lay down your life that you that you are a living sacrifice for him holy and acceptable unto God which is our reasonable service so he bases those exhortations in Romans chapter 12 on the fact that you believe the mercies of God he's saying because you believe the doctrine of the mercies of God found in Romans 1 through 11 You, therefore, ought to lay down your life for the gospel. Now he's doing the same thing. He starts out this right here by saying, knowing the time. That's doctrine. He's saying, since you know the time, you, therefore, ought to act this way. Paul didn't say, I need to teach you about the time. He didn't say that you ought to know the time. He says, knowing the time. In other words, he takes for granted that this early church knew the the time that they were in. And what time was that? Well, you say, well, that's easy. between 50 and 60 A.D. That's true, but that's not what Paul means here. He doesn't mean what year is it or what time does it say on your Apple Watch. It's bigger than that. Let's see this from this very letter that Paul writes. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 3. and verse 25 This is one of the most blessed verses in all of scripture right here verse 25 It's talking about Jesus Christ and it says whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. What was the difference about this time than the previous time that Paul is talking about? He says, "You, you know the time. What's what's so different about? It? Well, God looked past the sins of the past before the cross, right?" <clears throat> Now this is not saying that sin before the cross didn't matter and people weren't held accountable for it. It means that before the cross there wasn't an actual real propitiation, no real sacrifice for sins, no real taking away of sins. Remember Hebrews chapter 10, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things, can never with those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually make the comers They are unto perfect. And then he goes into verse 4 of that same chapter. He says, For it is not possible, it is not possible, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It wasn't even possible. Those sacrifices in the Old Covenant did not take away sin. What it did is God looked past them. Hence the Passover, right? God passed over those that had the blood on the doorpost." But now, God has sent forth His Lamb, which takes away the sins of the world, right? When John the Baptist said that, we should say, Amen. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. The lambs of men can never take away your sins. But God sent forth His Lamb, the perfect, unblemished Lamb, the eternal Lamb. And He takes away sin, So you can say it like this, the saints of old were justified by looking forward to the true sacrifice, the true propitiation, who would take away their sins. Christ comes and takes away their sins at the cross, and now we look back to that same sacrifice, right, for our justification. Let's turn up a couple pages here, maybe. I don't even have to turn. Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In due time. Knowing the times, in due time. There was a time when Christ didn't die for the ungodly, right? That B.C. time? Yes, they were still redeemed, men and women, but the redemption was still future, and in due time, the long-awaited Messiah would come and take away their sins. So what was this time? Well, I can think of two aspects of this time that were true then, that Paul is talking about. They were in a time, remember it says, knowing the time, they were in a time and they knew what it was. But what was it? Well, I think we can rightly say that this is talking about gospel times the times of the New Covenant. When the gospel would go forth into the ends of the earth. The times that Satan is bound from deceiving the nations because Christ is redeeming the nations. The time when when Christ with His bow and His crown is riding forth on His white horse conquering and to conquer. There is no doubt that was the time that they were in. Because Christ had already died for the ungodly, risen for their justification, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. But before He went, He says, what? All authority is given unto Me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore. They were in this time to go forth with the message of victory. We're still in this time. And Christ is still... Going forth, riding forth, conquering with his gospel through his church. You sit here today because of that, right? But I think we see more to this time here in Romans as well. Paul was writing to a people that were still on the other side of the old Jewish temple. The Herodian temple was still standing at that time. It was destroyed in 70 AD, we know this. And because of that, people were still practicing the Old Covenant. Remember, there, we can see a 40-year transitional period between around 30 AD, Pentecost, to 70 AD, we could call it the Holocaust. When the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And they're closing in to the end of it. So Paul says, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. The day is near. That day is coming. You say, that. I think that's a stretch. That's okay. But here's one thing that is for sure. Paul is speaking about them knowing the time. They knew it. So there was something peculiar about this time that Paul was talking about. There was a difference about this time that was not night anymore, but day. That it was a certain hour is what the NASB says in, in verse 11 there. That's what it, uh, the KJB says, um, high time. It is high time to awaken. That means the hour. It is the hour. And the fact that the transitional period between the covenants is a the major theme in the New Testament, we must consider that. There was a time of darkness when the Jewish leaders were keeping people from the oracles of God. We know this. You read through your, read through the Gospels. This was the condemnation that Christ was bringing to the Jewish leaders at the time. He said, remember, everybody likes the quote where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children, but you would not. He's saying that to the Jews. Religious leaders at the time, he's condemning the religious leaders because they were keeping people from the oracles of God. Instead, they are giving them their tradition and not scripture. The people were in darkness, in night, if you will, and when Christ came, what is it said about him? John 1:4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John the Baptist is said to witness to this light. So the world was dark in night, and Christ, who I think it's Malachi that calls him the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness, comes and breaks through the night and establishes the new covenant with his people. And that's where we're at right here. In the new covenant, but the day of the Lord had not come yet when Paul was writing to the Romans there. So he says, wake up, Christian, get out of bed, and get busy. Is pretty much what Paul says here. And he characterizes the darkness and the light here also, which takes me to my second point, which is casting off darkness. Paul says to these early Christians here, you know what the time is. You know Christ is marching forth with his gospel. You know he's going to save people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. You know that the nations have been given to him and the uttermost parts of the earth. And you know that all kings and nations will bow before him and worship. And you also know that this new covenant temple, which was the church, that has the water flowing out in all directions to heal all nations and continue to and it will continue to get deeper and deeper. So what does he say? Cast off the works of darkness. Because you know this. You know you're in this time. Cast off the works of darkness. Cast off the deeds of darkness. This means not like casting a fishing reel. Even though that could be a good picture as long as you don't reel it back in. This is like casting off your clothes. To lay them aside is how some translations put this. This actual word used in Acts 7 at the stoning of Stephen, it says, And cast him out of the city, that's not the word there, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. When, it, when they laid down their clothes, that's the same word there. That's the same word that's telling you to cast off the darkness. It's the same word as when they laid down their clothes. To put them aside, to take them off and lay them down. That's the exhortation here about the deeds of darkness. Now we're going to jump through some relevant texts on this that Paul uses the same language and he further defines the deeds of darkness. But first let's look here in Romans chapter 13 where we're we're at. He says in verse 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of life light let us walk honestly as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness not in chambering and wantonness not in strife and envying. was it verse 13 let us walk honestly it means to behave properly decently our lives should be decent and proper and honest says as in the day you let us walk honestly as in the day this reminds me of john chapter 3 and verses 19 through 21 and jesus says and this is the condemnation that light the same light that was in john chapter 1 right jesus that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that he may be wrought in God. So we ought to walk as in the light. Not hate the light because our deeds are evil, but love the light because we are born of God. I mean, there's a noticeable difference between light and darkness, right? between night and day, right? So there should be a noticeable difference in the one in Christ compared to the one outside of Christ. It says we are to walk honestly as in the day. It also says, after that it says, not in rioting and drunkenness. Now this doesn't mean like the riots that happened in our nation in the past few years. That's not what this is talking about. That's not what the word means. It means not in immoral feasting and festivals. And by immoral feastings and festivals, it doesn't just mean like your typical festival, you know, how we went down to Riverfest or whatever. You know, it doesn't mean just like that. They had a name for these feasts and festivals and the ESV, I don't know if you, you have an ESV here, but it actually uses the name is what it's talking about. And... It's orgies is what it's talking about. Now this should be obvious to Christians to not take part in, right? But Paul's not leaving a stone unturned. They're in a culture where that's what they got into. That's what they did. And he's saying, don't be in that. He goes on. Not in chambering and wantonness. Now of course these words in the KJV aren't used much by us anymore today, right? Chamberings. It means the conjugal bed. Or sexual intercourse. Or whoredom. Excuse my language. That's (laughs) That's what it means though. So not lying in bed and committing sexual intercourse with someone who is not your spouse. That's hard, right? That's I mean, Paul is not pulling any punches with that church, and, he's, and this applies to us today, too. And it says in wantonness. Now, this doesn't mean like what you what it sounds like it means. This is not a Chinese soup. It means licentiousness, which is unbridled lust. Just this idea that lust rules you, that you don't put it in check, and that you don't do what Paul says. That he did to himself. Remember, he says that he put his body into submission, into subjection. What Paul literally is saying there is, I give myself a black eye. I beat my flesh. And he doesn't mean literally. But when lust appears, you crush it, you beat it, and you do this through the Word of God and through prayer by the power of the Spirit. You make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And lastly, Paul says here, not in strife and envying. Strife, this means not contentious, not quarreling or a debater. You know these people. Always ready for a fight, always happy when it becomes contentious. Peace doesn't satisfy them. This is not how we should be. We should be cutting that off. We should be casting that off as he says. We should be peacemakers as much as possible. Not at the expense of the gospel though. Defending the faith is quite different than being contentious. Defend the faith, or as Jude says, contend for the faith. And when he says it, the word that he uses for contend for the faith is a word from which we get the word agony out of. Agonizomai is the word. It's to struggle. Not be contentious, but contend for the faith. And to not be envying or jealous. This word literally means heeded. It's of that jealousy that brings about indignation because somebody has something that you want. This seems minor though, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody else. If I just, envy envying you, it doesn't hurt you, right? Well, this has been one of God's commands since almost the beginning. It does hurt you. It hurts you, and it does hurt the, per- the other person because you aren't loving them right- rightly because you're jealous of them. And it also detracts from your mission. You're focused on what others have rather than what others need. Let's see a little bit more of this casting off, this laying aside before we move on to this text. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. in verse 22 It says that you put off, that's the word there. The same word Cut, casting off or, or laying aside, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the ed- the, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I don't know of anybody that could read through that and be like, I'm doing all that. I'm good. Verse 22 and 25 use the same word for casting off, for putting aside. Or, or laying aside. It's a command of God. And Paul gives us more commands to obey here too, right? Now I'm not going to go through them all, but we can see that there, these are direct commands by God to His people, and they are to be obeyed and not forsaken. Not to say where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. But to say, God forbid that I continue in this. And you can see negative and positive commands here as well, right? To put away lying. It says to put away lying, but speak every man truth to his neighbor. It actually blows my mind sometimes when I hear a Christian just simply lie like it's not a big deal. When Jesus says in Revelation 21, have you all read that far yet? Revelation 21, he says, Jesus says, All liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone. There are men in hell today because they are liars. And a Christian just does it like it's no big deal? That ought not to be the case. Notice also, let him that stole steal no more. But that's not it. He's not just saying, Don't steal anymore but rather let him labor and give. The opposite of stealing, right? Is to work with your own hands and give to him that needs. So in opposition to the deeds of darkness or the works of the flesh, we are to be truth tellers and we give. You can see the negative commands, don't do this, but rather do this. You see, it's not just a casting off and staying there, but a putting on as well. We cast off sin and we put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, as he says right there. So back to what Paul is saying to the Romans, the times of ignorance have passed. It's now the gospel times. So get up out of bed, wake up, and cast off those deeds that once characterized you and put on the armor of light is what he says, which goes to my last point, putting on light. And I'm going to go back here to Romans and read this again. says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Paul says to cast off the works or deeds of darkness and to put on The armor of light. This completes the picture, right? The picture is of waking up. That's what he says. Wake up and getting up out of bed and casting off the old clothes of the works of darkness and now putting on the armor of light. This word, when it says put on, it means to sink into. It's sinking into your clothes. You see, if you just wake up and cast off your old clothes and not sink into your new clothes, which is armor, You would stand there, excuse me, but naked with no offense or defense. And you're in a war. That's the picture. So we clothe ourselves with the new clothes that are described as the armor of light. It's not like those old raggedy clothes we put on, but we put new ones on that that are used as a weapon. When it uses this word armor here, it's not simply just picturing armor, but also the weapons that go along with the armor. It's actually translated weapons multiple times. Listen in uh, John eighteen three, It says, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. That's the same word. He came, well, we know what happened there, right? Judas came with these these guys to have Jesus arrested, and they came with weapons. They didn't just show up in chainmail, but with weapons. Ch- chainmail armor is only good for half that battle, right? For defense, so you don't get stabbed. Or like Paul uses it in another context, so the fiery darts of the wicked one don't hit us. In war, you need more than armor. You've never, I've never seen people go to war with only armor, right? That'd be a fun war to watch, though. I wouldn't mind being in that one. You need weapons. And that's the, this is a picture that we're given here. It is, it's get up out of bed, wake up, cast off those old raggedy clothes, and prepare yourself for war. War against the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? That's the Christian call. It's not to be lazy, just bumps on the logs. It's not to simply just show up to church on Sundays and every other Wednesday. It's to go into battle. And and it's to be clothed with armor and weapon. And this is the same picture that's given to us multiple times. This is not just some little part in Romans that that this armor is talked about and that's it. And Paul just used some random picture. It's talked about over and over again in Scripture. Christianity isn't for the faint of heart. It's a daily battle. It's a war. And Paul calls us soldiers, and he says to put on the armor of light. He calls it in another context the whole armor of God. I'm actually going to turn there in Ephesians chapter 6. I wasn't planned on reading this until this morning. I was like, I I, I just want to read it. But Ephesians 6 and verse 10 through 17, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all Take the shield of faith where which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What's this armor used for? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, against the schemes or the craftiness of the devil. It's so that you can stand against temptation. Not so you can go attack another human being, right? It's so you can stand in the day of evil, as it says. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Cast off those old clothes, those old things that defined you before. That is not you anymore if you're in Christ. Such were some of you, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you, but you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you stand clean and holy in the courtroom of God and He has called you unto battle. This is the Christian call. And though Paul was writing to first century Christians, this still needs to be applied today. Wake up and prepare for battle. Christ has already won the war through His blood. And He's called us to head into these battles knowing the end of which is victory, right? I'm sorry, but we don't lose down here. Famous preacher said, we lose down here. We don't. Christ's church is victorious. Even now. Now. And I'm not saying this like I'm Joel Osteen. I don't have a nice enough smile to be that guy. I mean, Christ has promised that he's going to save people from every kindred tribe, tongue, and nation. And not only that, but that after he saves them, he will not lose any of them. He keeps his people, and no power in all the universe can change that. And because of that, we get up, we wake up, and we go into all the world So don't let these commands go over your head, Christian, just because Paul is writing to the early church. These commands apply to us as well. If you're asleep, wake up. If you're awake and in this battle, keep going. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And our God is a mighty warrior whose purposes cannot be thwarted. And He goes before us. Amen. Let's get into our application. Our call to faith and repentance. And first I'm going to knock on the door of the unbeliever in here. If you sit in here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. God doesn't promise you a tomorrow. He commands all men everywhere to repent, and that's your call this morning. It's not to cast off your works of darkness or put on the armor of light, because you can do neither. All you have are works of darkness and you cannot cast them off. Though you may sit here and think that you're okay this morning, you sit in darkness if you don't know Christ. And if you perish without Him, you'll be cast in the outer darkness forever. Your sins call out for justice to be laid out on you. And no amount of good works can change that. You need Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That, that's the only way to be saved. You are unrighteous and need perfect righteousness. And there's only one who has it, Jesus Christ. He and his life kept God's law perfectly, never sinning. You haven't for one second of your whole life done that. He then went to that Roman cross and died for the sins of His people thereby taking away their sins and earning righteousness. He rose from the grave for their justification and He ascended to God's right hand where He sits and makes intercession for His people. Your call, if you don't know Him, is to believe that this morning. To repent of your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Don't assume you'll have a tomorrow. Nowhere is that promised. However, on your trip here, I guarantee you passed probably a graveyard or two. And you do have a guarantee that you'll be there one day. That's our future home. Every single one of us, at least for our bodies. So I pray that you repent and believe this morning. To us believers here. Obviously, there's a lot of application that could come out of this portion. However, let's believe the promises of God that he will save his people. That the gospel is going forth and not even the gates of hell shall prevail against his church going with the gospel message. That God has not only promised, he he promised that you can look it up in Revelation chapter 7 to save an innumerable amount of people. A number so high that no man could count. But in that promise, he has promised success in our endeavors on that, right? If faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and how shall they hear without a preacher, and God has promised to save to the uttermost parts of the earth, that means that if we are out preaching, God will inevitably save some. Maybe not right in front of our face, but he will. Not only this though let's repent of being apathetic of being asleep of not casting off the works of darkness of not walking honestly we should repent of these things and go forth with the hope that has been given to us and since we do know the times what we what we're in are the gospel times that we're in let's believe this that Christ is victorious even when we're not. That Christ has already won the war. That he crushed the head of the serpent. That he has all authority in heaven and earth. And let's pray as our Lord instructed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know that prayer is probably said more than any prayer in the world, right? How many people actually believe that? That his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray that. Let's believe that. Or do you think our current culture is too far gone gone that God can't redeem it? Do you think it's too hard for the Lord of glory to bring repentance? Do you think the Spirit has no more faith to give to His people? This is blasphemy. God is still working, and He's working through His church. So it's time to wake up and get to work which takes me right to my last point, our call to war. This is quite obvious from our text. God isn't just calling us to skip our way to heaven. It's not like follow, like follow me down the yellow brick road, skipping our way to heaven. He isn't saying that this is just some walk in the park, but this is a war. Why do you think he uses that language? How many wars are easy? Does does anybody know of any? I don't know of any. The Christian life isn't necessarily easy. Not because Christ's yoke isn't easy, because it most certainly is, but because of the opposite, that we fail often. We do things we ought not to do. We go places we ought not to go. We say things we ought not to say. And others do that to us too. And we get to look in the mirror and realize I failed my Lord today. I sinned against my Lord. And then praise God we get to remember that's why he died for me. I failed him today, but that's why he died for me. Which encourages us to get back up and go back into the battle because we don't, look, we don't work for his love and his mercy. We work from it. We cast off the works of darkness because He loves us, not to get Him to love us. We make no provision for the flesh, not so we can earn salvation, but because He has already accomplished our salvation for us. And we go into battle because we can rest in the fact that Christ has all authority in heaven and earth, and He's there with us. He says, I will be with you even unto the end of the world. He's our provider and our protector. He's the captain of the, Lord of, of the Lord's host. And he is the author and finisher of our faith. So get up, Christian. Don't wallow in your sins. Remember the one who died for you? He took them away. And nothing can separate you from his love. And let's go forth as more than conquerors because of God before us who can be against us. And if he spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how... How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? So as His people, let's come together as the family of God, as the army of God, and go forth into the world for the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of His name. Amen.